Chapter 28 of Our Vanishing Wildlife. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Stephen Kinford. Our Vanishing Wildlife by William T. Hornaday. Chapter 28 New Laws Needed A Roll Call of the States. The principles of wildlife protection and encouragement are now so firmly established as to leave little room for argument regarding their value. When they are set forth before the people of any given state, the only question is of willingness to do the right thing, of duty or defiance of duty, of good citizenship or the reign of selfishness. Men who do not wish to do their duty purposely befog great issues by noisy talk and tiresome academic discussions of trivial details and such men are the curse and scourge of reform movements. There are very few persons who foolishly assert that there are too many game laws. It is entirely wrong for any person to make such a statement, for it tends to promote harmful error. The fact that our laws are too lenient, or are not fully enforced, is no excuse for denouncing their purposes. We have all along been too timid, too self-indulgent, and too much afraid of hurting the feelings of the game hogs. Give me the power to make the game laws of any state or province, and I will guarantee to save the non-migratory wildlife of that region. I will not only make adequate laws, but I will also provide means, men, and penalties by which they will be enforced. It is easy and simple for men who are not afraid. I have been at considerable pains to analyze the game laws of each state, ascertain their shortcomings, and give a list of the faults that need correction by new legislation. It has required no profound wisdom to do this, because the principles involved are so plain that any intelligent schoolboy fifteen years old can master them in one hour. I have performed this task hopefully in the belief that in many states the real issues have not been plainly put before the people. Hereafter no state shall destroy its wildlife through ignorance of the laws that would preserve it. Let no man say that it is too late to save the wildlife for accepting the dead and gone species, that is not true. Let no man say that we cannot save the wildlife by law, for that is not true either. As long as laws are lax, even law-abiding people will take advantage of them. There are millions of men who think it is right to kill all the game that the law allows. There are thousands of women who think it is right to wear aigrettes, as long as the law permits their sale. And yet, if we are resolute and diligent, there is plenty of hope for the future. During the past three years, to go no farther back, we have seen the whole state of New York swept clean of the traffic in native wild game by the Bane Law, and of the traffic in wild birds' plumage on women's hats through the Dutcher Law. Today, in this state, we find 99 women out of every 100 wearing flowers and laces and plush and satin on their hats instead of the heads bodies and feathers of wild birds that were the regular thing until three years ago. The change has been a powerful commentary on the value of good laws for the protection of wildlife. The Dutcher Law has caused the plumage of wild birds almost wholly to disappear from the state of New York. We shall here point out the plain duty of each state, and then it will be up to them, individually, to decide whether they can stand the blood test or not. A state or a nation can be ungentlemanly, unfair or mean, just the same as an individual. No state has the right to maintain shambles for the slaughter of migratory game or songbirds that belong in part to sister states. Every state holds its migratory bird life in trust, 
for the benefit of the people of the nation at large. A state is just as responsible for its treatment of wildlife as any individual, and it is time to open books of account. It is robbery, as well as murder, for any southern state to slaughter the robins of the northern states, where no robins may be killed. No southern gentleman can permit such doings, after the crime has been pointed out to him. In the north, the men who are caught shooting robins are instantly hailed to court, and fined or imprisoned. If we of the north should kill for food the mockingbirds that visit us, the people of the south instantly would brand us as monsters of greed and meanness, and they would be perfectly justified in doing so. Let us at least be gentle in agreeing upon a state of fact, as the lawyers say, whether we act sensibly and mercifully or not, just as long as there remains in this land of ours a fauna of game birds, and the gunners of one half the states are allowed to dictate the laws for the slaughter of it, just so long will our present protection remain utterly absurd and criminally inadequate. Look at these absurdities. New York, New Jersey, and many other northern states rigidly prohibit the late winter and spring shooting of waterfowl and shorebirds, and limit the bag. North Carolina, South Carolina, Florida, and other southern states not only slaughter wild fowl and shorebirds all winter and spring without limit, but several of them kill certain non-game birds besides. All the northern states protect the robin for the good that it does, but in North Carolina, Tennessee, Mississippi, Louisiana, and some other southern states, thousands of robins are shot for food. Minnesota has stopped spring shooting, but her sister state on the south, Iowa, obstinately refuses to do so. The United States at large. There are two great measures that should be carried into effect by the governing body of the United States. One is the enactment of a law providing federal protection for all migratory birds, and Canada and Mexico should be induced to join with the United States in an international treaty to that effect. The other necessary measure is the passage of a joint resolution of Congress declaring every national forest and forest reserve also a game preserve and general sanctuary for wildlife, in which there shall be no hunting or killing of wild creatures of any kind save predatory animals. The tendency of the times and the universal slaughter of wildlife on this continent points straight as an arrow flies in that direction. Soon or late, we have got to come to it. If Congress does not take the initiatory steps, the people will. Such a consummation is necessary. It is justified by common sense and the inexorable logic of the situation. And when done, it will be right. The time was when the Friends of Wildlife did not dare speak of this subject in Washington save in whispers. That was in the days when the Appalachian Park Bill could not be passed, and when there were angry mutterings and even curses leveled against Gifford Pinchot and the Forestry Bureau because so many national forests were being set aside. That was in the days when a few western sheepmen thought that they owned the whole Rocky Mountains without having bought them. Today, the American people have grown accustomed to the idea of having the resources of the public domain saved and conserved for the benefit of the millions rather than lavished upon a favored few. Today, it is perfectly safe to talk about making every national forest a first-class wildlife sanctuary, and it is up to the people to request Congress to take that action at once. The Weeks Bill, the Anthony Bill, and the McLean Bill 
now before Congress, to provide federal protection for migratory birds are practically identical. All three are good bills, and it matters not which one finally becomes a law. Whichever is put forward finally for passage should provide federal protection for all migratory birds that ever enter the United States, Alaska, or Puerto Rico. Why favor the duck and leave the robin to its fate, or vice versa? It will be just as easy to do this task by wholes as by halves. The time to hesitate, to feel timid, or to be afraid if the other fellow has gone by. Today the millions of honest and serious-minded Americans are ready to back the most thorough and most drastic policy, because that has become the most necessary and the best policy. Furthermore, it is the only policy worthy of serious consideration. Some of our states have done rather well in wildlife protection. Considering the absurdity of our national policy as a whole, others have done indifferently, and some have been and still are very remiss. Here is where we intend to hew to the line and without fear or favor set forth the standing of each state according to its merits or its lack of merits. In a life-or-death matter such as now confronts us regarding the wildlife of our country, it is time to speak plainly. In the following call of the states, the glaring deficiencies in state game laws will be set forth in detail, in order that the sore spots may be exposed to the view of the doctors. Conditions will be represented as they exist at the end of the summer of 1912, and it is to be hoped that these faults soon may be corrected. A Roll Call of the States Alabama. It is a satisfaction to be able to open this list with the name of a state that is entitled to a Medal of Honor for Game Protection. In this particular field of progress and enlightenment, the state of Alabama is the pioneer state of the South. New York now occupies a similar position in the North, but New York is an older state, and stronger in her general love of nature. The attainment of advanced protection in any Southern state is a very different matter from what it is in the North. Five years ago, Alabama set her house in order. The slaughter of song and insectivorous birds has been so far stopped as any southern state can stop it unaided by the federal government, and those birds are recognized and treated as the farmer's best friends. The absurd system of attempted protection through county laws has been abandoned. The sale of game has been stopped, and since that stoppage, quail has increased. The trapping and export of game have ceased and wild turkeys and woodcock are now increasing. It is unlawful to kill or capture non-game birds. Bag limits have been imposed, but the bag limit laws are all too liberal and should be reduced. A hunter's license law is in force, and the Department of Game and Fish is self-supporting. Night hunting is prohibited, and female deer may not be killed. A comprehensive warden system has been provided. As yet, however, Alabama permits the shooting of waterfowl to March 15th, which is too late, by one and one-half months. The use of automatic and pump guns in hunting should be suppressed. There should be a limit of two deer per year, and killing should be restricted to deer with horns not less than three inches long. The story of game protection in Alabama began in 1907. Prior to that time, the slaughter of wildlife was very great. It is known that enormous numbers of quail were annually killed by Negro farmhands who hunted at least three days each week, regardless of work to be done. The slaughter of quail, wild ducks, woodcock, doves, robins, and snipe was described as nauseating. The changes that have been wrought since 1907 
is chiefly due to the efforts of one man. Alabama owes her standing today to the admirable qualities of John H. Wallace, Jr., her game and fish commissioner, author of the state's policy in wildlife conservation. His broad-mindedness, his judgment, and his success make him a living object lesson of the power of one determined man in the conservation of wildlife. Commissioner Wallace is an ardent supporter of the Weeks and Anthony Bills for federal protection, and as a lawyer of the South, he believes there is no constitutional inhibition against federal legislation for the protection of birds of passage. Alaska. The sale of game must be absolutely prohibited forever. The slaughter of big game by Indians, miners, and prospectors should now be limited and strictly regulated by law on rational lines. The slaughter of walrus for ivory and hides, both in the Alaskan and Russian waters of Bering Sea, should be totally prohibited for 10 years. The game warden service should be quadrupled in number of wardens and in general effectiveness. The game warden service should be supplied with two sea-going vessels independent for patrol work. The bag limit on hoofed game is 50% too large. To accomplish these ends, Congress should annually appropriate $50,000 for the protection of wildlife in Alaska. The present amount, $15,000, is very inadequate and the great wildlife interests at stake amply justify the larger amount. It is now time for Alaska to make substantial advances in the protection of her wildlife. It is no longer right nor just for Indians, miners, and prospectors to be permitted by law to kill all the big game they please whenever they please. The indolent and often extortionate Indians of Alaska, who now demand big money for every service they perform, are not so valuable as citizens that they should be permitted to feed riotously upon moose and cow moose at that, until that species is exterminated. Miners and prospectors are valuable citizens, but that is no reason why they should forever be allowed to live upon wild game any more than that hungry prospectors in our Rocky Mountains should be allowed to kill cattle. Alaska and its resources do not belong to the very few people from the states, who have gone there to make their fortunes and get out again as quickly as possible. The quicker the public mind north of Wrangell is disabused of that idea, the better. Its game belongs to the people of this nation of 90-odd millions, and it is a safe prediction that the 90 millions will not continue to be willing that the miners, prospectors, and Indians shall continue to live on moose meat and caribou tongues in order to save bacon and beef. Mr. Frank E. Kleinschmidt said to me that at Sand Point, Alaska, he saw 82 caribou tongues brought in by an Indian and sold at 50 cents each, while, according to all accounts, most of the bodies of the slaughtered animals became a loss. Governor Clark has recommended in his annual report for 1911 that the protection now enjoyed by the giant brown bear Ursus Middendorfi on Kadiak Island be removed for the benefit of settlers and their stock. It goes without saying that no one proposes that predatory wild animals shall be permitted to retard the development of any wild country that is required by civilized man. All we ask in this matter is that, as in the case of the once proposed slaughter of sea lions on the Pacific coast, the necessity of the proposed slaughter shall be fully and adequately proven before the killing begins. It is fair to insist that the sea lion episode shall not be repeated on Kadiak Island. The big game of Alaska cannot long endure against 
a limit of two moose, three mountain sheep, three caribou, and six deer per year per man. At that rate, the moose and sheep soon will disappear. The limit should be one moose, two sheep, two caribou, and four deer. Unless we are willing to dedicate the Alaskan big game to commercialism, no sportsman needs a larger bag than the revised schedule, and commercialists should not be allowed to kill big game anywhere at any time. Let us bear in mind the fact that Alaska is being thoroughly opened up to the man with a gun. Here is the latest evidence from the new circular of an outfitter. I will have plenty of good horses and good, competent, and courteous guides, also other camp attendants if desired. My intention is to establish permanently at that point, as I believe it is the gateway to the finest and about the last of the great game countries of North America. The road is open, the pack train is ready, the guides are waiting, go on and slay the remnant. Arizona the band-tailed pigeons and all nine game birds should immediately be given protection, and a salaried warden system should be established under a commissioner whose term is not less than four years. The use of automatic and pump guns in hunting should be prohibited. Spring shooting should be prohibited. Arizona has good reason to be proud of her up-to-date position in the ranks of the best game-protecting states. No other state or territory of her age ever has made so good a showing of protective laws. The enactment of laws to cover the points mentioned above would leave little to be desired in Arizona. That state has a bird fauna well worth protecting, and game wardens are extremely necessary. Arkansas The enforcement of game laws should be placed in charge of a salaried commissioner. Spring shooting of wildfowl should be stopped at once. A reasonable closed season should be provided for waterfowl, and swans should be protected throughout the year. A bag limit law should be enacted. A force of game wardens, salaried and unsalaried, should at once be created. The killing of female deer and the hounding of deer should be stopped. No buck deer should be shot unless horns three inches long are seen before firing. A hunter's license law is necessary and the fees should go to the support of the Game Protection Department. The local exemptions in favor of market hunters in Mississippi County should be repealed. It appears that in Arkansas, the laws for the protection and increase of wildlife are by no means up to the mark. At this moment, Arkansas is next to Florida, the rearmost of all our states in wildlife protection. Awake, Arkansas! Consider the peril that threatens your fauna. The sunk lands in your northeastern corner along the St. Francis River are the greatest wildfowl refuge anywhere in the Mississippi Valley between the Gulf Coast of Louisiana and the breeding grounds of Minnesota. A duty to the nation devolves upon you to protect the migratory waterfowl that visit your great bird refuge from the automatic and pump guns of the pot hunters who shoot for northern markets and kill all that they can kill. Protect those sunken lands. Confer a boon on all the people of the Mississippi Valley by making that region a bird refuge in fact as well as in name. Heretofore you have permitted hired market gunners from outside your borders to slaughter the wild fowl of your sunk lands literally by millions and ship them to northern markets with very little benefit to your people. It is time for that slaughter to cease. Don't maintain a duck or goose shambles in Mississippi County. Year after year, as North Carolina does, do unto other states as you would have other states do unto you.
Do not be afraid to pass nine good laws in one act. Clear your record in the family of states, and save your fauna before it is too late. It is not fair for you to permit the slaughter of the insectivorous birds that are like the blood of life to the farmer and fruit grower. California. The sale of all wild game should be forever prohibited. The use of automatic and pump shotguns in hunting should be prohibited. The killing of pigeons and dove as game and food should be stopped. The sage-grouse and every other species of bird threatened with extinction should be given ten-year closed seasons. The mule deer, if any remain, and the Colombian black-tailed deer in the southern counties should be accorded a ten-year closed season. A large state game preserve should be created immediately, on or near Mount Shasta, and abundantly stocked with nucleus herds of antelope, black-tailed deer, bison, and elk. A suitable preserve in the southern part of the state should be set aside for the dwarf elk. As game laws are generally regarded, California has on her books a series that look rather good to the eye, but which are capable of considerable improvement. All along the line, the birds and quadrupeds of the Golden State are vanishing. Under that heading, a vigorous chapter could be written, but space forbids its development here. Just fancy laws that permit gunning and hunting with dogs from August until January, one half the entire year. Think of the nesting birds that are disturbed or killed by dogs and gunners after other birds. California's wild ducks and geese have been slaughtered to an extent almost beyond belief. The splendid sage-grouse and sharp-tailed grouse are greatly reduced in numbers. Of her hundreds of thousands of antelope, once the cheapest game in the market, scarcely a trace remains. Her mountain sheep and mule deer are almost extinct. Her grizzly bears are gone. The most terrible slaughter ever recorded for automatic guns occurred in Glen County, California, on February 5, 1906, when two men, whose story was published in Outdoor Life, 17, page 371, April 1906, killed 450 geese in one day and actually bagged 218 of them in one hour. Every person who has paid attention to game protection on the Pacific Coast well knows that during the past eight years or more, the work of game protection in California has been in a state of frequent turmoil. At times, the lack of harmony between the State Fish and Game Commission and the sportsmen of the state have been damaging to the interests of wildlife and deplorable. In the case of Warden Welch in Santa Cruz County, pernicious politics came near robbing the state of a splendid warden, but the courts finally overthrew the overthrowers of Mr. Welch and reinstated him. The fish and game commissioners of any state should be broad-minded, non-partisan, strictly honest and sincere. So long as they possess these qualities, they deserve and should have the earnest and aggressive support of all sportsmen and all lovers of wildlife. The remnant of wildlife is entitled to a square deal and harmony in the camp of its friends. Fortunately, California has an excellent force of salaried game wardens, 82 in all, and 577 volunteer wardens serving without salary. Colorado. The state of Colorado should instantly stop the sale of native wild game to be used as food. It should stop all late winter and spring shooting of native wild birds. It should give the sage grouse, pinnated grouse, and all shorebirds a 10-year closed season, remove the dove from the list of game birds, and give it a permanent closed season. It should remove the crane, 
and the swan from the list of game birds. In twenty-five short years, we have seen in Colorado a waste of wildlife and the destruction of a living inheritance that has few parallels in history. Possibly the people of Colorado are satisfied with the residuum, but some outsiders regard all Rocky Mountain shambles with a feeling of horror. A brief quarter century ago, Colorado was a zoological park of grand scenery and big game. The scenery remains, but of the great wild herds, only samples are left, and of some species not even that. The last bison of Colorado were exterminated in a lost park by scoundrels calling themselves taxidermists in 1897. Of the 200,000 mule deer that inhabited Route County and other portions of Colorado, not enough now remained to make deer hunting interesting. A perpetual close season was put on mountain sheep just in time to save a dozen small flocks as seed stock. Those flocks have been permitted to live, and they have bred until now there are perhaps 3,500 sheep in the state. Of elk, only a remnant is left, now protected for 15 years. Band-tailed pigeon. Often mistaken for the passenger pigeon, the rapid slaughter of this species has alarmed the ornithologists of California who now fear its extinction. The grizzly bear is so thoroughly gone that one is seen only by a rare accident, but black bears and pumas are sufficiently numerous to afford fair sport, provided the hunter has a fine outfit of dogs, horses, and guides. Of pronghorned antelope, several bands remain, but it is reported that they are steadily diminishing. The herds and herders of domestic sheep are blamed for the decrease, and I have no doubt they deserve it. The sheep and their champions are the implacable enemies of all wild game, and before them the game vanishes everywhere. The lawmakers of Colorado have tried hard to provide adequate statutes for the protection of the wildlife of the state. In fact, I think that no state has put forth greater or more elaborate efforts in that direction. For example, in 1899, under the leadership of Judge D.C. Beeman of Denver, Colorado, initiated the More Game Movement by enacting a very elaborate law providing for the establishment of private game preserves and farms for the breeding of game under state license and the tagging and sale of preserved bred game under state supervision. The history of game destruction in Colorado is a repetition of the old, old story. Plenty of laws, but a hundred times too many hunters, killing the game both according to law and contrary to it, and doing it five times as fast as the game could breed. That combination can safely be warranted to wipe out the wildlife of any country in the world and accomplish it right swiftly. As a big-game country, Colorado is distinctly out of the running. Her people are too lawless, and her frontiersmen are, in the main, far too selfish to look upon plenteous game without going after it. Some of these days, a new call of the wild will arise in Colorado, demanding an open season on mountain sheep. Those who demand it will say, What harm will it do to kill a few surplus bucks? It will improve the breed and make the herds increase faster. By all means, have an open season on the Colorado Bighorn and British Columbia elk. It will do them good. The excitement of ram slaughter will be good for the females, will it not? Of course. They will breed faster after that, with all the big rams dead. Any surplus wildlife is a public nuisance and should promptly be shot to pieces. In Colorado, there is some desire that Estes Park should be acquired as a national park and maintained by the government 
but the strong reasons for this have not yet appeared. As yet, we have not heard any reason why the state of Colorado should not herself take it and make of it a state park and game preserve. If done, it could be offered as a partial atonement for her wastefulness in throwing away her inheritance of grand game. Colorado has work to do in the preservation of her remnant of bird life. In several respects, she is behind the times. The present is no time to hesitate or to ask the gunners what they wish to have done about new laws for the saving of the remnant of game. The dictates of common sense are plain and inexorable. Let the lawmakers do their whole duty by the remnant of wildlife, whether the game killers like it or not. The curse of domestic sheep upon game and cattle. Much has been said in print and out of print regarding the extent to which domestic sheep have destroyed the cattle ranges and incidentally many game ranges of the west but the half hath not been told the american people as a whole do not realize that the domestic sheep has driven the domestic steer from the free grass of the wild west with the same speed and thoroughness with which the buffalo hunters of the seventies and eighties swept away the bison i have seen hundreds of thousands of acres of what once were beautiful and fertile cattle grazing lands in montana that has been left by grazing sheep herds looking precisely as if the ground had been shaven with razors and then sandpapered the sheep have driven out the cattle and the price of beef has gone up accordingly neither cattle horses nor wild game can find food on ground that has been grazed over by sheep the following is the testimony of a reliable eyewitness mr dylan wallace and the full text appears in his book saddle and camp in the rockies page 169 domestic sheep and sheep herders are the greatest enemies of the antelope as well as of other game animals and birds in the regions where herders take their flocks the ranges over which domestic sheep pasture are denuded of forage and stripped of all growth and antelope will not remain upon a range where sheep have been thus the sheep sweeping clean all before them and leaving the ranges over which they pass unproductive for several succeeding seasons of pasturage for either wild or domestic animals together with the destructive shepherds are the worst enemies at present of utah's wild game particularly of antelope sage hens and grouse in iron county which has already become an extensive sheep region settlers tell us that before the advent of sheep grass grew so luxuriously that a yearling calf lying in it could not be seen not only has the grass here been eaten but the roots trampled out and killed by the hoofs of thousands upon thousands of sheep, and now wide areas, where, not long ago since grass was so plentiful, are as bare and desolate as sand piles. End of chapter 28 Recording by Stephen Kinford, Sharon Township, Ohio